who's the luckiest one of all my teeth chattered and my flesh quivered incessantly from the wet and cold i could hear someone scrabbling away inside the house but not opening the blasted door surely they couldn't be so bloody minded i drummed another desperate rat a tat tat i was ready to yell that i knew they were in there and would they just open the door before i died here but just as i took a lungful i could hear someone turning the bolts and locks and i calmed myself down and got ready to be polite and beg for shelter the door opened a crack and a weathered old face with watery grey eyes peeped through yes says he in a questioning tone as if he thought i might be out selling encyclopedia i explained that i'd got lost in the storm and was nearly dead from cold and exhaustion when i saw the lights of this cottage incredibly the cussed old beast started giving me directions to the nearest road follow that path down and take the left fork and cross the stream though it might take a while since the stream may be in full spate but i could safely sit it out under the big tree no matter how angry the stream became his dense imperviousness had me in full spate forget the stream and i was so angry i could have told him exactly where he could go himself in this weather the old coot was turning me out in my wretched condition to shelter under a tree under a tree I almost put my fist through his silly wrinkled face but the horror of seeking my path again in the deepening dark and frigid cold took their toll and I collapsed The next thing I knew I was being lugged feet first into the cottage I had the wit to stay not so the idiot man didn't get a chance to say okay he's recovered turn him out again and point him in the right direction I felt two sets of hands tugging and tumbling me onto a couch. I finally opened my eyes hesitantly and a little old lady was standing alongside the big brutish ass. Both were evidently exhausted from their efforts and I felt a bit of a bore. They looked at me with terrified eyes and the woolly old lady said beseechingly, "You won't tell anyone, will you?" For the life of me, I couldn't guess what the bleeding heck she meant. I must have just gaped at her. The old coot grabbed me by the collar and threatened to do me physical harm if I besmirched her fair name. "I promise you," he said that, "besmirch her fair name. Do you think I can make up stuff like that?" I said, "Okay, okay." Just tell me what I was not to tell. By then she was grabbing his arm, pulling him off me saying, "Let him go, Dan. He looks weak in the head." After the rotten day I'd had, this was ripe. It really was a bit too bloody much. So I pulled up the last reserves of my strength, pushed off the old coat and sat up. with the two of them scuttling back as if i were a vicious murderer and told them i most certainly was not weak in the head 
nor was I interested in besmirching anyone's fair name. What I was, was a trekker, mangled by the storm and seeking shelter. And would they be good enough to provide such shelter and send me on my way in the morning? There were some moments of stunned silence with everyone gaping at everyone. And then the woolly old thing collapsed into a chair and held her heaving chest in relief. It took a bit of patient explaining, but I finally convinced them that I was genuinely lost, not a spy for whatever malfeasance they were perpetrating. Immediately, they started bustling around organizing hot tea and dry clothing and making me take off my wet socks and shoes. It was only after dining and clearing up, in which I helped, like a right proper gentleman, since I'd got my moxie back by then, that I popped the question, what about my arrival had panicked them so? The answer's a bit of a shocker, so prepare yourself. It turns out, these two nothing-to-look-at wrinkled old bags, woolly and coot, were living in sin. So naturally they didn't want news of their shenanigans getting out and besmirching. You get the drift. I did my shame and scandal in the family routine, but I wouldn't have lost any sleep over it, though they were obviously guilty as hell. So I swore myself blind not to tell, which immediately made us co-conspirators and bound us together in an unholy trinity. Coot stationed himself in Papa Bear's big chair. I had the couch, since I was still technically in recovery, and Woolly had Mama Bear's rocking chair. I remarked that they were lucky to be able to spend their twilight years together, and Woolly said, she prayed it would be so. And Coot explained that poor Willie had been rather unlucky with romance, so he hoped he was her lucky number seven. You see, explained Willie, I was married very young, but I hardly spent any time with my sweet Andy and he went off to the war and never came back. It was cruel because I was so young and had hardly been a sweetheart or a wife and already I was a widow. Coot nodded commiseratively. So young, he echoed. Fortunately for her, she found Bert such a loving man. Protected her, interjected Coot sagaciously and provided for her so well before he died. Of a wasp sting! Didn't even know he was allergic to wasps. They brought him to the hospital, but it was game over for poor Bert. Such a handsome man. Very sad indeed. They shook their heads sadly at the untimely passing of Bert. After him was Simon, who took her abroad and she all the time worrying about bees and wasps. But he brought her back safe enough. And then he goes and gets some sickness. Foreign, they said it was. It was a rainy morning when they buried him. And she'd been so worried about the grave filling up with water before Simon went into it. But when the time came to carry him from the church, 
The sun was shining and it all went off splendidly. It really was a lovely funeral. Those little pink cakes were so good. She could still taste them after all these years. And the mushroom volovans, oh, you'd have loved them, she told Coot. He loves mushrooms, she informed me, as if Coot's culinary preferences were a matter of abiding interest to me. Coot whispered to me that Simon's passing had really upset her. Three husbands down in just ten years? He glared viciously at me till I agreed that it was only natural to be dejected. But then she met Roger, piped Woolly, cheerfully, and he made her happy again. But as stubborn as a mule he was, and when he had that fall, he just refused to see a doctor, no matter how much she tried. By the time she managed to coax him to the hospital, his leg had turned black. It was no use the doctor scolding her, because Roger always wore socks and trousers, so how was she to know? It was the smell that had tipped her off. She would never forget that smell, not after her war services. Coot stage whispered, Gangrene? Ew! I almost brought up my dinner. That was the end of the Jolly Roger. But it seemed Woolly was not a merry widow. She went into a depression. It became obvious to me that Coot was actually furious at them for dying. Didn't they care that they were upsetting Woolly? Not a thought for anyone but themselves, the inconsiderate lot. I found myself nodding too. Thoughtless indeed, to just up and die without notice, quite right. Next in line was Davy. He came into her sad little life like a ray of sunshine, always able to cheer her up. The years she spent with him were happy and filled with laughter. He died in a car crash, rushing home to her one evening and was slammed into by a drunk truck driver. And she waiting and waiting, with the dinner getting cold and wondering what the matter was. When the police arrived, she just fainted dead away. They had to trundle her off to a convalescent home. She'd gone to stay with her elder sister after that and become a complete recluse for the next 20 years. But after her sister died, she couldn't sustain the seclusion and was forced back into society. That's when Mark met her and charmed her off her feet. Coot jumped into the story himself and told me that Mark ran a bakery and made bread, cakes and cookies. So he slept early and rose before dawn and it had been a strange life for Woolly. Till one morning, there was some electric problem and when Woolly came down to check what the blast-like sound was, Mark was lying there, dead, in front of the ovens. He was actually smoking, Woolly added her own bit of lurid detail. Coot had been the policeman on that case, and his heart had melted at this brave lady and the deplorable lot that fate had decreed for her. Their courtship was delayed, 
because Koo didn't think it ethical while he was still investigating the case. He'd been up for retirement in a year and had bided his time and as soon as he got his gold watch, he'd got in touch. Woolly had flatly declined because she decided she was a definite danger to husbands. Koot would have none of it. It took persistence and steadfast refusal to take no for an answer. But finally, Woolly accepted that she had never been at fault, not once, and she was not to blame herself. They were to be married soon, but had thought to get to know each other better, experimenting with this new living with each other business. I tried to look disapproving, and Coot rushed to assure me there was nothing wrong. Separate bedrooms, he said. But I covered my ears and said there was such a thing as too much information. Woolley said it was good that Providence had sent me, as I could be her chaperone. She blushed prettily as she said this. Six husbands under her belt and another one ready to step into harness. Woolley toddled off to her handbag and pulled out a small visiting card folder with photographs of all her men. Ominously, there were still many empty slots. She showed me young Andy in his uniform, looking innocent and fresh. Bert was a red-faced, outdoorsy type, a ripe candidate for wasp bites. Simon looked suave and metrosexual, though I doubt either of them knew what that meant. Roger oozed wealth in his double-breasted suit and slicked hair, but his lips had an obstinate setting. Davy looked the life of the party type, with a jaunty smile and crinkled eyes, and Mark, with his buzz-cut head, was the archetypal salt of the earth. There was a picture of Coot too, looking crisp-chested and official, and she admitted she was a bit ahead of the starter's gun, but they'd be married soon and he'd be there by right. Coot looked so proud, you'd think he'd won an Olympic gold. Nevertheless, I can tell you, I was plenty uneasy that night. Who knew how toxic her presence was? I was grateful for the warmth, the food and comfort. But if I could have, I would have fled into the dark and the rain and escaped her baleful influence. The only thing that kept me there was that I certainly wasn't a husband candidate. And after all, the sister had apparently survived 20 years in her company, so I might make it through a single night. I watched them go into their separate bedrooms, waving goodnight to me and blowing each other utterly innocent air kisses. What happened on tippy-toe after I snuffed out for the night, I refused to even consider. I watched them grow old together peacefully and die within weeks of each other many years later. Before you ask, she went first and he pined away and followed her in short order. Coot believed he was the luckiest man on earth since he won the queen of his heart and could adore her all her days. And Woolly thought she was the luckiest, 
So she finally found a husband with whom she could live till the end. But I know I was the luckiest since I made it through that perilous night with death hanging over me by just a thread and endured to celebrate their nuptials, mourn their funerals and now to memorialize their amazing love story.